0: We're going to start in in verse 12 here. I'll read the text. We're only doing seven verses today. I'm sure it'll seem like more, but uh, that's okay. 1 Peter 4, verse uh, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an doer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. And do. Verse 12 again says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. 1 Peter is most likely written from Rome in the early 60s of the first century, and it's to the dispersed in Pontus, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, the northern and interior parts of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. Aquila of Priscilla and Aquila is a Jew from Pontus. And Acts 2 tells us there were Jews from there and Cappadocia, in Jerusalem at Pentecost when the church first started. These could have been people that had been saved at his teaching 30 years prior these people that he's writing to if if not them then people that they went back and spoke to they could have been dispersed from there when the persecution that broke out after stephen was stoned right it says they were they they had stayed mostly in jerusalem stephen is stoned and a great persecution breaks out a, a, a across the whole church and it says Everyone except the apostles were scattered in Samaria and Judea throughout there. Some of those people may have then gone and gone ahead and gone home from there to spread God's word uh, back to the places where they had come from. Think about the legacy of brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, children and grandchildren that God has given you in Christ. Think about that. Cash of people right they talk about data a cache of data right so much stuff that you know could fit on a grain of rice What the cache of beloved that God has given you the cache of people that have gone through your life who are your beloved in Christ do you express it you should you should Absolutely. What an encouragement. What an encouragement for them. Peter describes the fiery trial here in chapter 4, verse 12, but we don't have a specific event listed in the Bible to tie it to. Right? There are things that are going on that we could say, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. There was a persecution that that began in Rome under Nero as Rome burned in AD 64. There was certainly a persecution there, and according to the historian Tacitus, he blamed this fire on the Christians, they were called. And he wrote, covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt, to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Is that the fiery trial that Peter's describing here as he writes to this group? It, it seems like this was more of a localized persecution in Rome, but it could be that that example spread and those things happened elsewhere and they happened or he was warning them of things that were coming upon him. But he talks about it, it seems like it is now. What is happening to them is now. From the outset of the church, if it wasn't the, the persecution under Nero, from the outset of the church, there was persecution by Jews of the Christians. Acts 4 and 5, the apostles were persecuted. Acts 8, again, the entire church after the stoning of Stephen. Acts 12, Herod arrests and kills James, the brother of John. And then arrests Peter, and Peter we've, Peter's in prison awaiting what seems to be the same fate. And uh, an earthquake and an angel release him from prison. When you're in trouble, think about it. All I need is an earthquake and an angel. I just need or needed at the time an earthquake and an angel. Who would expect that? Who would think that God was going to show himself in that way? What way will he show up for you if your focus is not so much on the suffering? as it is on him. What way will he show up? Uh, Later in that chapter, Herod dies a terrible death, and it says in verse 24 of Acts chapter 12, but the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. This was the result of what seemed to be terrible suffering. Everybody, they they were together praying for Peter. And and they were... (laughs) They were praying, but they were consigned to things not working out because they didn't believe it was him when he showed up at the door. What? No, he's not. The, the girl goes and sees him, and she comes back. It's It must be his ghost. He's as good as dead. Not according to God. The impossible situations, right? An angel on an earthquake, he sends. So... You see over and over again throughout the book of Acts, numerous interactions between the Christians and the Jews, and things would generally start off okay, and then within a couple of weeks they turned south, and Paul was getting beaten up and chased out of cities, and whole cities were in tumult and upside down. It was a problem for Rome. The interaction between Jews and Christians was a problem for Rome. And it's one of the things that developed into the persecutions, right? If, if that wasn't stirring things up in, you know, what God, God has used all of it uh, for our good and for the good of those even that were in the midst of it. It could have just been the fact that they were sharing their faith. This fiery trial could have been a fact that they were sharing their faith and they're being mistreated because of it. We aren't given an answer on this, but there's a theme of suffering throughout the book of 1 Peter. The words suffer, suffered, suffering, and sufferings are used 17 times in this short letter. Five chapters, 17 times. 18, if you include where it's used for clarification in verse 16 of chapter 4, which we'll get to in a little while. And there are four different words within 1 Peter used for suffering. Lipao, which is to cause sorrow or grief, that's in chapter 1, verse 6, is used once. Pasho is used 12 times to experience, to suffer, to endure. Interestingly... As I was looking this up in the concordance, the the word just above it, the word just above suffering, the one that's used most often, is pasha, Passover. Same shares much of its spelling with that word. How interesting that our Passover would be so associated with suffering. And when we think about it, that's not a mystery, is it? The passion Of Christ that he would give himself over to suffering for us. The word used for times and then there's one more uh, and it was kind of odd how I got there. I wouldn't have seen it at all except generally I use a um, NIV concordance. So I had uh, I have a King James concordance and I don't generally teach from the King James and I have an NIV concordance And this is not a request for anybody to buy me a New King James concordance, so don't, that's not, I'm not shilling for gifts here. Um, But I use my NIV concordance, and I often have to look up, you know, we have a bunch of NIV Bibles. Okay, so it says that here, and it's not even translated this way in the NIV anymore. They changed it. The only place I could currently find it uh, in, in current use is the Good News Bible. The NIV used to read in verse 12, Don't be surprised at the painful trial you. This is just one, in one obscure translation. The word there is genomai. Genomai. And it means to be, to become, to happen, to come into being or existence. And if we reread the New King James and stop for a moment, we would say, Do not think it strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which is. Genomai, it exists. The fiery trial, which exists. It just is. We don't need a reason for it. We don't need a reason for it. He's going to give us a reason for it. He's going to give us the good that he wants to work in it. But we don't need a reason. We're so prone to ask, why is this happening to me? about everything that goes wrong in our lives. When in the case of persecution, we should really be asking ourselves, why isn't this happening to me? Why isn't persecution happening to me? Everything we see in God's word is that we should expect it. Verse 16, where it's added for clarity, saying, if anyone suffers as a Christian, really reads, if if as a Christian, and we'll get to that verse a little more later, but I think it's best for us to leave it as that, if as a Christian, to not think it strange. We need to not be astonished. That's another way it's put. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is, do not be astonished at the fiery trial, which is, it just is. And we're so astonished. We're so taken aback. how could this happen? What's going on? And we're asking the wrong questions. We're focused on the wrong things. When we're focused on the why. Unless we find the why of God. We're so prone to, which is, to try you to prove you, to test you. How dare God do that? How dare he treat me that way? I thought it was blue skies and rainbows after I accepted Christ. I thought it was all, you know, bubbly and, gosh, it was going to be fantastic. Love, love, love. Suffering? You were promised it. I was promised it. Again, we've got to ask ourselves, why isn't it happening? I'm not asking you to go be obnoxious to people. Give me some suffering, right? I deserve some suffering. Maybe you do. We all do. <laughs> but we say, God, why, how dare you, God? How dare you do this to me? It should all be good. If my life isn't great, how can I tell other people about how great Jesus is? Because he's great. And your life doesn't have to be. And my life doesn't have to be for him to be great. He is always great. He is always on the throne. He is always the name that is above every name. Everything has always been created through him. And the greatness as measured by us of our lives has nothing to do with us of our lives is like this. And there will be eternity. Eternity. So on the contrary, right, God God is not allowing suffering in your life to your harm. He's not allowing it to your harm. On the contrary, verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Why has God allowed your proving that you can rejoice and be glad with exceeding joy? We're like, eee, stop proving me, please. Maybe if we think of it like bread, like you prove bread and it rises. God makes us bigger by his proving, but it's not exactly like that, is it? That would be a nice way to think about it. No, it's fire, and it's removing oftentimes of things we'd like to hold on to, oftentimes of things we would choose not to let go, oftentimes of things we're afraid to let go of. The basis of our joy is not persecution or suffering in itself. Aren't I great? I got persecuted, right? Add that to my resume, persecuted for Christ. Uh, It doesn't make you special, Paul tells the Corinthians, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The basis for our joy is the participation with and the bonding with Christ. It is becoming more like him participating in his sufferings. The being made like him the having him increase as we decrease, we have to develop our desire to bond with Christ. We have to develop our desire to bond more fully with Christ. He has joined himself completely with us. We are the ones that stand off in our own minds and in our own actions. He's made it completely close we need to desire more and more to have the bond with him that he has made with us. If we don't, we will have no interest whatsoever in suffering in his name. We're going to find other pursuits to pursue. If we want to bond with him, then our It's hard to say desire for suffering. Our intentional pursuit of his ways will increase and we will grow in him. I guess that's a good question for us, right? What will we suffer for? What will we suffer for? What will I suffer for? What will you suffer for? What are you willing to put yourself uh, in harm's way for? What are you willing to put yourself through hardship for? What is it? that you go after, right? Is it it a promotion? Is it to get better at a sport, to get good grades? Is it to lose weight, right? We'll deny ourselves, if we're really interested in losing weight, will we deny ourselves other things, other appetites that get in the way of us pursuing Christ? Will we embrace suffering? A lot of people will suffer just to get high, They go through tremendous suffering. I went through tremendous suffering in order to get high. And I produced for myself much greater suffering. And I would tell the money I would sacrifice, the time I would invest, all to get something that I wanted. Will you suffer for Christ? Will you embrace Christ? bonding with him instead of those other things. our seeking after comfort often results in greater suffering, greater anguish in the wrong, in the long run. We sing the hymn holy 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 and one of the verses is all the saints adore thee casting down their golden crowns to God right they come before his throne and this is a picture of 24 elders, fall down in worship, casting their crowns before him. All of their accomplishments, that crown representing everything that is the best of them, all the the accolades that they could have achieved, everything that was important in life is nothing. I throw it down at your feet. It means nothing to me compared to the greatness of knowing Christ and him crucified. all of our accomplishments worthless in comparison to him, the best of the best of the best that we could attain to needs to be below our pursuit of Jesus. The best of the best of the best that we could attain to needs to be below our pursuit of Jesus. I'm listening, Lord. I'm listening. Quiet my heart to hear what you have to say to me. Verse 14, if you're reproached, if you're insulted, reviled, for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Peter goes right to the words he heard from Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. It's in Matthew 5. I'll start in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If all you want is what this world has to offer, then you're not going to care about attaining the kingdom of heaven. If you're so wrapped up, and so I'm naturally speaking out to you. All of this is to me too. So I'm, I am not, aside from six inches or so above you, I'm no more than that. We're all equal on this playing field here. Blessed are you, verse 11, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember, he's teaching his disciples here. The crowd is all out there. He brings his disciples up on the mountain. So probably was on the mountain. And they sit down and he begins to teach them. And these are the things that he's saying to them. For whom is the kingdom of heaven reserved? Those persecuted for righteousness' sake. What is it we're to seek first? We all know this, right? Because we know the song. Seek ye first the and his righteousness. And then what happens? All these things. All these things. All the things you're seeking after, at least the good ones, They'll all be added to you. It's a it's a simple uh, uh, calculation, right? It's simple mathematics. Seek you first, kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. We don't do them to get the things, but we 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 short circuit the process and we go after the things. And we keep pouring water down a hole. Why isn't this filling up? Why isn't my life better? The water keeps running out. Everything I wanted, it never happens. He says, seek my kingdom first. Seek my righteousness first. It's just for a time. And it's nothing compared to eternity. On your list of seeking. Where does being like him land on your list of priorities? I'll ask us again, what do we suffer for? If you want to be blessed, move Christ up to the top. Look what Peter says happens here. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. How about that? What do you want, fat 401k or the spirit of glory and of God? What do you want? What are you seeking after? Would you like the spirit of glory and of God? Because that's what he is promising you. He says the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Two things about this. First, it's amazing. The spirit of glory and God, that that could rest on us is astounding. Go back and read all of Revelation 4 and you'll get a glimpse of the glory of God. And what's happening there? In fact, here's God. And then say, God wants that to rest on me. I learn about that and, and, and I understand that God wants that to rest on me. As opposed to all the other things that are swirling around me. That's what he wants from me. Spirit of glory, and the spirit of God resting on you. So first, it's amazing. Second, it's true. It's true. Uh, we were praying this morning, and um, Tom, I remember who you are, uh, Tom prayed about faith being the substance of things hoped for. And I, I thought, I'm, I'm so grateful that faith is not wishful thinking this, that, or the other thing. That's not what faith is. Faith is substance. And when it comes to something like this, where God has said, I want to rest my spirit of glory and my spirit on you, we have to have faith that it's true. It's not something for somebody else. It's for you. the Spirit of glory and of God. It is true for you. When, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, you may feel like his spirit of glory does not rest on me. You may feel embarrassed. You may feel weaker than you've ever felt. But the truth is the spirit of glory and of God, it is resting on you. The truth is that Satan wants to lie to you and tell you that it isn't. The truth is you can have faith in the word of God and not listen lies and we all need to do that he says on their part those that are reviling you he's blasphemed but on your part he's glorified and you are glorified and they need to see him glorified there's a cycle that happens here right? collect it back to him. And we'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes. He says, verse 15: let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Ouch. Interesting grouping of sin. Peter's conflating, putting on equal footing things we would consider really bad. Evildoer, thief, murderer with something maybe we don't consider so bad. Being a busybody in other people's matters. Meddling, another way it's said, meddling in other people's affairs. Don't you have enough trouble of your own? I do. We all do. Right? Is some of the I'm I'm so grateful for Mary's parents and for my parents. How little they meddled. How little they talked about what our wedding should be or how we should raise our kids. And what meddling was done, right, if we can use the same word, probably should use a better word than that, was done in counsel and was done to help us put God first before one another. Are you meddling in other people's lives? It's just as bad as some other things he lists here. Be careful. Don't be a busybody. Look at the plank in your own eye. Verse 16, if anyone suffers, and then again in verse 16, this is where it's added. If anyone suffers, if we we go go back to verse 15 and read it this way, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters, yet if... As a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So here, having a faithful recognition, having a faithful recognition, what I mean by that is believing the truth of it. Having a faithful recognition that the spirit of glory and God rests on us, then we in turn glorify God. He rests his spirit of glory on us. We then glorify him. If, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in this matter. And then we, in turn, we glorify him. We're reflecting back what he's already given us. That glorifying of God is what he has already placed in us. He's not asking us to muster something that he's not already given. He's not asking us to make it up. Oh, now I have to glorify God. How can, I, how can I create some glorification of God? If you believe first that his spirit of glory rests on you, then that's what's going to come back out instead of shame. Psalm 27. I was so impressed by this. Uh, the other day. I had Tom put the whole thing up, but I'm not going to read the whole I might read the whole thing. I'm not going to promise you anything. Psalm 27. Keep them on the edge of their seat. Verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Here's the part that really struck me One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. What happens in the time of trouble? When we would feel weak, right? When we would be reviled and have accusations made against us and we would shrink and we would feel like, what do we say? What do we do? Where has God placed you? In the time of trouble, he's hidden you in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle, and he has raised you up above all of your enemies, he has rested his spirit of glory on you in the time of trouble. Every time of trouble. We think it's got to be a big thing of trouble, right? It doesn't. Little times of trouble. He's hidden you in his pavilion. Little times of trouble, he set your feet upon a rock. Little times of trouble, he's rested his spirit of glory on you. All the times of trouble. This is what you have in him. This is what he's given to you. So have a faithful recognition of that. And then that glory, what does he say, right? I get the glory and I offer sacrifices of joy. I sing I sing and I praise God. That glory comes back to God. That cycle of him resting his glory on us, we receive from him, we offer it back. The glory we receive comes from him, we give it back, and we do not lose for giving it back. There's not a little supply of glory, and oh, I can't give God that much of it, because I won't have any left for me. We don't lose for giving glory back to God. His glory rests on us. Verses 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end be of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and it begins with us first. So, I, this was written over 2,000 years ago. Well, I guess, you know, 2023 minus 60-something A.D. Not quite, but you get the picture. Judgment to begin at the house of God has been ongoing in the believers' lives, from Jesus. This is happening. Don't waste time trying to escape it. Don't waste time trying to avoid it. Don't waste time trying to avoid being proven by God, trying to steer clear of suffering, except for murdering, thieving, doing evil, and meddling. Steer clear of that. But give no thought to circumventing the judging that God wants to do in your life to refine you, that he will do, that he is doing in his church, his own house, to bring you blessing, to have his spirit and the spirit of glory rest on you, to form his son in you. Why try to avoid it? Why waste any time? Chasing after shiny things when you can have the light itself. Where do you appear? Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Let's ask ourselves first. Where do we appear? In the hands of God, Him forming us. Where do we appear? At the foot of the cross. Where do we appear with the righteous one, Jesus Christ, interceding for us on a continual basis? Where do we appear with the Holy Spirit praying in ways that we can't pray beautifully to God on our behalf? Where do we appear? We appear in all myriad of amazing, wonderful places. Where do the ungodly and the sinner appear? Before the judgment throne. And then in the lake of fire. We have some fiery trials to endure for a time. Those that, that do not obey the gospel will have fiery trials to endure forever. Forever. It doesn't make God happy. He's not hoping they continue to not get it. I can't wait to punish them. He's hoping that they will embrace his son, whom he laid their punishment on. He's hoping that we will move Christ up to the top of our priorities, whom he laid our punishment on. And that we'll get it, and we'll pursue it. I was talking to Mary uh, this morning. She was sharing with me from her Bible study, and she was at the the point in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus opens a scroll in the synagogue. It's not on the screen, but I'll share this with you. <clears throat> he says, uh, quoting from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he gives the scroll back to the attendant. And the next thing it says in Isaiah in that scripture is to declare the vengeance of the Lord. So what God has for us now and for the world is a time of freedom, a time to be set free, a time to come to him, a time to be released. And in Revelation, it says the scroll gets opened again. And the rest of that chap, that scripture in Isaiah gets fulfilled. And that's what the ungodly have before them. It'll be reopened and vengeance. It says vengeance and comfort for all those who have suffered. Guess which end we're on. Comfort, comfort for all those who have suffered. What chance do the world has if we aren't invested in being like Jesus? I mean, I know the weight of salvation of others is not on us, but I need to get it. And I don't want to say it like, oh, if I need to get it, then you need to get it. We need to get it. We need to get it and stop wasting our time doing so many unnecessary things, thinking so many unnecessary things, pursuing so many unnecessary things. How opaque do we make the things of God for people that don't know Him yet? How unclear. Is he because of the way we're living our lives? (sighs) Don't get caught up in how much you're not like this. So what do I mean? Right? You may be sitting there and I will join you in the seat going, this is a big ask to put Jesus first. On a continual basis? Are you nuts? You know how far away I am from that right now? Right this moment? Are you crazy? If you barely muster a minute a week to be like Jesus, add another minute. Then add another minute after that. He knows you're made of dust. He'll help you. First decide, first decide there's nothing you want more, and then start to walk in it. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Commit your soul to him, that part of you that is forever. Forever. Commit it to him. And do good. Grow. Realize what he's given you. Remember his faithfulness in spite of your unfaithfulness. Commit today and later on again today. And if you need to, as many times tomorrow and for the rest, the rest of your life as necessary. Right? Like the, Sometimes we'll get a prescription. Use as necessary. Commit as necessary. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. No matter where you are now, don't be discouraged. He has given you everything. He has given me everything. And the only worthwhile of us increasing in Christlikeness, of us being found in him. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to close my eyes, too. And I'm going to ask you. Don't do it yet because I haven't closed my eyes yet because I'm still reading what I have here. I'm going to ask you. If you want to put Jesus back at the top of your life. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to see that you've done that. I'm asking you to identify I'm asking you to make that step. Glory as defined by him, not by our small view of glory that we've been holding on to, but eternal, indestructible glory is what he's offering. I'm also going to ask you to do this. If you raise your hand, find someone you trust and tell them you raised your hand and share with them what you're putting ahead of them. He gave us one another for a reason, not for meddling, but to lift one another up. So I'm closing my eyes now. And if you want Christ first, raise your hand and let God know you want Christ first. So, Father, with all here whose hands are raised, with my hand raised as well. I want to get rid of all the things that I put in front of you, God. I want Christ to be all in all in my life. And I know I'm going to fast. you me. And you've hidden my life in Christ. But I want more of you, God. I want more of you to than what's swirling around in my mind. I want more of you and less of the things of this earth. If I don't see what they are, would you reveal them to me that I might actively repent, that I might actively turn away from those things and turn to you? Would you help us, Lord, to help one another in this? Would you help us, Lord, to understand your spirit is praying for us? Would you help us to be convicted and convinced that Jesus Christ is interceding for us continually in these matters? That me we might be a people of you and not of this earth that we might be a people who will embrace what is suffering that you've allowed and that we might reflect your glory to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.